Hey guys, unfortunately this week you won't be hearing your regularly scheduled quarantine comics. Since June is Pride Month, Ryan is out tie-dye body painting himself in rainbows, and I'm out becoming gainfully employed. So we wanted to mix up your weekly quarantine comics with a conversation about sexual identity in mainstream comics. Completely easy stuff. As you may have noticed, we are seeing an increasing amount of great representation in comics. Recently, Batman's partner Robin discovered his own queer identity. On my other podcast, Modern Minorities, we feature minority voices for all of our majority ears. So we decided to have a conversation about Robin's queer identity over the years in pop culture. Don't worry, we'll be back soon with more quarantine comics. But for now, unclench your precious pearls and enjoy a thoughtful and fun conversation about queer characters in comics. You know, Robin, from a queer perspective and in the world of queer comic nerds, has been coded queer since the beginning. Way back when, in the bad old days when you weren't even allowed to say gay, queer people were still reading comics, still loving them and enjoying them. They just couldn't see themselves in the comics. So they were kind of reading themselves into it. So why would you change Robin to bisexual when he's dated women? Well, it sort of was a no-brainer. It happens to a lot of bisexual people like me who you kind of go along and society is kind of telling you all kinds of straight stuff. And then you suddenly go, "Uh oh, um, I have an attraction that's a little bit different. And to me, it just seemed like a natural character development rather than a retconning or someone turning somebody gay. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Roman Segel, an Indian American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Hey, Sharon. You know, it's been a great year with some big moments of representation in comic books and pop culture. Oh, I totally know. We finally had a Black Captain America. We had the Black Widow feature film of Lady Loki. And the biggest movie of the year is now Shang-Chi. Sharon, you kind of sound different. Yeah. And it's not just the Marvel Cinematic Universe either. Wonder Woman 1984, although that was only half as amazing as the first one. Seriously, Sharon, something's up with your voice. Is, Is your microphone working okay? Well, don't even get me started on amazing new fan favorites like Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Miss Marvel. Okay, okay. Uh, who is this? What's going on right now? <laughs> this is this is your comic book conscience, Remen. Oh, shit. Really? Yes, really. You've not been talking about how awesome Robin Kirkman is, and I'm here to talk about that. Robin Kirkman? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're, it's late night for your comic book conscience. I meant Robert Kirkman. <laughs> oh, you almost had me. It's longtime friend of the pod, past guest, and equity inclusion and allyship advocate, Carl Preisner. Ah, you got me. I was really hoping I could guilt you into giving me your comicsology password. Man, they should, anyway, can I get it? <laughs> uh, no, because many a Nigerian prince have tried and failed, old chum. But I, I gotta ask, what are you doing here and where's Sharon? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I got a note from Sharon saying I should show up, join a conversation about some dude named Tim Drake. Oh, Sharon, you wily fox. <laughs> you have once again escaped my attempts to talk about comic books. And it's a real shame because tonight's conversation is going to be a really good one. Uh, okay, but 
But Tim Drake, what's going on with this guy, and, and why am I here? Well, Carl, I'll have you know that Tim Drake recently came out as bisexual in the comic books. Ah, right. So I'm your token diversity and inclusion pal. Why, Roman, I feel so used. As you should. <laughs> but, but seriously, man, it's 2021. If we're going to have a conversation about Tim Drake coming out as bisexual, there's some other perspectives we can put at the front of your podcast here besides the dulcet baritone voice of your straight white male friend, Carl. Carl, I am way ahead of you there. Hi. <laughs> Why, it's friend of the pod, Stephen Wakabayashi, host of the Yellow Glitter podcast, a great show exploring queer Asian identity. Stephen, what are you doing here? Well, obviously, you don't have a good working gaydar on your podcast. So here I am. You know, I've been telling Sharon we need to get one of those for years. <laughs> yes. It's like the bat signal, but way more practical. Okay, seriously, guys, what is going on? Dudes, we got to talk about the big news. Robin. Robin is now bisexual. Holy coming out, Roman. For real? You know, I figure we could talk about what a big moment this is in pop culture, and we could all geek out on the potential nerddom implications of Batman's trusted sidekick now being queer. Okay, so Steven's here because he's a comic book geek. Uh, no, I'm here because I'm fabulous. But Robin, as your favorite queer podcasting buddy, I have to be straight with you. No pun intended. I don't know much about comic books and superheroes. Uh, shit again. Uh, I can't be the only comic book geek on this podcast. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Of course, of course. Okay, but shit, what do we do now? Well, how about uh, your Quarantine Comics co-host, Ryan Joe? No, man. Ryan's straighter than one of Hawkeye's arrows. Oh, oh, holy missed opportunity, Roman. Oh, I got you both. Come on out, Ainsley. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, y'all. Meet my good friend, Ainsley Waller, one of my favorite ad peeps, and sits also on one of my nonprofit organizations, QT BIPOC Design. And Ainsley happens to be a comic book weirdo, just like you, Raman. Finally, <laughs> my people. <laughs> Welcome to Modern Minorities, Ainsley. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be here as a nerd. <laughs> if you if you had heard this podcast before, you wouldn't be honored to be here. <laughs> um, but no, in, seri- in all seriousness, now that we've assembled our very own Team Titans, let's get into it. Robin is queer. This is happening. Yeah, it's. I would say it's about damn time, to be honest. Yeah, and you know, but honestly, this isn't the first major comics character to come out in recent years. I mean, we had North Star years ago, Iceman Bobby Drake, the OG Green Lantern Alan Scott, and even most recently, Jonathan Kent. <laughs> Who are those people? <laughs> come on, Steven. Iceman is from X-Men, and Jonathan Kent is like Superman and Lois Lane's son. They're kind of famous. Yeah, but most mere mortals probably haven't heard any of those. I mean, everyone's heard of Batman and Robin. And, and and this has actually been a subtext in the Batman comics for years. I mean, did you see either of Joel Schumacher's Batman movies? The suits had nipples. That was a big debate. I remember that 1,000%. Thank you. Exactly. Those nipples have been a top-tier conversation about Robin for years. <laughs> I don't know what any of this is supposed to mean. <laughs> uh, Ainsley, come up. Unpack this for me. I mean, come on. Yeah, people said Robin was queer, but we all knew he wasn't. 
Um, I wouldn't be so sure about that. You know, Robin, from a queer perspective and in the world of queer comic nerds, has been coded queer for decades and decades, basically since the beginning. Way back when, kind of like in the bad old days when you weren't even allowed to say gay for comics, queer people were still reading comics. They were still loving them and enjoying them. They just couldn't see themselves in the comics. So they were kind of reading themselves into it where slash fiction eventually came from and most of Tumblr. It's such a thing that Robin is queer and has been queer since the beginning that like if I'm going out as I do to like a comics convention and there are a lot of people cosplaying, there's always like the DC faction, right? And during the day, you're going to see a lot of couples cosplay. You'll see like Batman and Catwoman and you'll unfortunately be seeing Joker and Harley Quinn and all that but when the evening comes and you're at the queer party with the cool kids that couple's costume is definitely going to be Batman and Robin really and it's, yeah 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 to the point where it's like a cliche at this at this hour so it's he's always been a, a cute little twinkie uh, so it's interesting so the community has kind of taken ownership of it now did has that always been there like pre-comic cons because i mean if, if we flash back to the good old 60s we had remember like the seduction of the innocent like robin was legitimately one of the reasons we have something as shitty as the comics code authority for 20 or 30 years no you're absolutely right and that's kind of the ironic thing about it is that at the time you're talking about when those comics were first coming out it was both those comics code crazed people who were reading queerness into the character of Robin and it was the sadly suppressed and oppressed queer people who were reading the comics and imagining it themselves so in a weird twist of fate these comics code people were really tapping into something that people were already doing it's hard to go back and necessarily prove that there was no tumblr back then and and so on and so forth but when you talk to comics fans it's sort of been percolating within that sphere for a long time huh well, so Stephen, Carl, I got to ask both of you guys, how did you hear about this? Was this just from like your nerd friends like Ainsley and Rumman reaching out? Or I mean, for me, and again, my Google News feed has a bias from the algorithm towards comic books. So of course I saw it. But did this kind of hit in, in the world of mere mortals in the news for you guys? You know what? It didn't catch me that Robin had come out as bisexual, but I, I was very familiar with a lot of what's just been shared about the ongoing exploration of this throughout the Batman series. I, I mean, that, that Jill Schumacher thing was was a thing, right? You could go back and look at conversations that uh, George Clooney and Chris O'Donnell had about it. And, and, and I used to watch the 70s Batman series, and there were conversations that were had about there. And I think there were conversations that both had, as I remember, you know, some of them were like, pejorative conversations and others were exploration. And so, no, nah, I didn't know this one, but I, I, I did remember Iceman from the X-Men. Huh. Maybe that's uh, maybe for your X-Men podcast, I'll show up for that one too. <laughs> Steven, what about you? Like, how did you hear about this or what's kind of your, been your perception as a non-comic book person in the world and perception of Robin? Mm. Well, being in the queer community, Batman and Robin has always been kind of the dynamic duo and a part of many people's Halloween costumes. But there's always a sense of a homoerotic context that couldn't be escaped in many instances. And I think when Robin had come out, what I saw on the interwebs was just echoing what we mentioned, just it's about time. 
Huh. Is that what queer Twitter was saying, basically? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and it just seemed like a lot of people were affirmed that this was totally the rite of passage for Robin, especially as we had seen the context of Batman and Robin play out within the communities. But yeah, as for myself, I didn't know too much about it. <laughs> and Ainsley and I actually chatted a little bit more about it. And Ainsley shared with me some really sweet remarks that social media had about the coming out, right? Yeah, that's right. I am a lot on super geeky, closed social media groups and open <laughs> social media groups and all kinds of nerdy stuff like that. And I would say people were um, talking about it and really excited and happy. There was a lot of positive response that I I had shared with Stephen. And then he and I also went in and looked at the Chuck Dixon article yeah, where- guy. <laughs> Yo, the polar opposite. So Stephen and I sat and looked through comments threads and we were like, wow, this could not be a more diametrically opposed response. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, I hate to say a sign of the times, like bubbles, if you will. But mm -hmm. and, and just to play it out for folks, Chuck Dixon was one of the premier Robin, not just Batman, but Robin writers from the late 90s and early 2000s. And you can just Google, and um, maybe we'll put the link in the show notes, but he said some not-so-kind things, and he lost me with a few things, but honestly, guys, like some of the things he said made me uncomfortable, not because he said something that was horrible, but I was like, oh, I can kind of see where he's going. Whoa, did I just think that? Like, Because, and Ainsley, you and I traded a couple of emails about this, and I, I genuinely want to put this out there for the audience. Like, For me, it was... Okay, so he can turn bisexual? Tim Drake's an established character. He had girlfriends and, you know, romances and stuff like that. And I grew up with him as a teenager. And why wouldn't you just cr create another Robin or create another character? Can you unpack? Like, I now know, like, uh, why that's problematic. I didn't fully understand why. I just could, my spidey sense was tingling and saying, Roman, you're wrong here. You need to think about this. But can you unpack that a little bit? I mean, why is it okay for a comic book character to become bisexual an established character yeah you have an awesome spidey sense in fact um congratulations that was that was <laughs> i i'm pretty sure that i'm wrong most of the time so that's that's my spidey sense me, when you me get the too, web slinger, let's talk about that <laughs> oh yeah the web slinger well it, it sort of was a no-brainer for me i myself was a late blooming bisexual and when the exact words you said was why would you change robin to bisexual when he's right. dated women well if you're bisexual, you also date women. <laughs> like that's kind of that's kind of what that is. And and then oh, definition. You, Bingo. <laughs> you might also date men. So it, it to me it was like oh he just sort of had an evolution of his character. Um, mm. It happens to a lot of bisexual people like me who you kind of go along and society is kind of telling you all kinds of straight stuff. And then you suddenly go, uh Oh, um, I have an attraction that that's a little bit different. And some people know it all the time. And some people it happens to them later in life, and mm -hmm. they have a little evolution. So this kind of date that Robin gets asked on by a young man, or Tim Drake is normal uh, to me, it just seemed like a natural character development rather than a retconning or someone turning somebody gay necessarily. Well, I want to ask a question about that, specifically in the issue. A young man asks Tim out, and we made the joke about Gator earlier. Is it the sense that maybe the other person sensed that or just wanted to make a leap and kind of figure that out? Maybe he is, maybe he's not, because 
I mean, in the world of ethnicity, you know, there's white passing, there's black passing, brown passing, all that stuff. Tim is kind of straight passing, if you will. He has been for years. Or are there like, and again, this isn't just about the comic, but it's just about like, how's that work? Oh, it, it definitely works. I'll take this one as the token bisexual. Bisexual passing is a huge issue. It's a very unique thing that happens to bisexual people all the time. We are notoriously hard to clock as queer. So if we say dated somebody of the opposite sex all the time, you might not ever know. We're not always floating on light loafers or grabbing a U-Haul with a mullet. You know, we're not always that kind. Sometimes. I mean, sometimes. I just learned a new reference and someone's going to have to explain that one to me later. But okay. U-Hauls and mullets. Got it. U-Hauls and mullets. Yes. Yes. He's the last person that's going to be. (laughs) <laughs> hauling but, that U-Haul. <laughs> it, it's 100% true. Yeah, not not a U-Haul mullet. But it's kind of interesting, like bi- bisexuals now kind of have their own like coding that's starting to come out. Like supposedly, with this is actually true, bisexuals can't sit normally in a chair. Uh, we tend to cuff our jeans. Uh, we do finger guns awkwardly. There's all this kind, you know, so now... <laughs> Now you can tell if you ever see people is that, doing hang on, that. Is that like, is that like borderline racist? <laughs> no, no, hang on. Is that like borderline like saying Asians are bad drivers, saying stuff like that? Are you guys are allowed know. to say it? We're allowed to say it, but you, no, you can. No, okay, okay, it's okay. pretty harmless. I, I can't sit in a chair. I fully own it. You were allowed to say it. <laughs> but I think this plays into the whole concept of bi erasure okay. in culture that happens oftentimes where a lot of bisexual people are seen as people who are questioning their sexuality, uh, especially for bisexual people who've dated the opposite sex previously when they are entering especially same-sex partnerships. Sometimes their past history isn't seen as valid as somebody who's seen as a what they call gold star gay, for example. And those are the people who haven't ever really dated or had sexual intercourse with those um, of the opposite gender. Can you, Sorry, and can you unpack what gold star gay means? Gold star gay. So you actually receive an award in the mail if you've never... <laughs> <laughs> you, you were fucking with me. <laughs> you submit to GLAAD your, your sexual history. No. Um <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if it was? Uh, So that's just a terminology that's handed to folks who are gay, folks who are lesbian, who've only dated and had sexual intercourse with those of the same gender. And so they'll call you a gold star gay, gold star lesbian. For example, gold star gay, if you've never had sexual intercourse or have really gone out with women, female presenting people. Mm-hmm. Well, you had, you said something which interested me. Too. You talked about erasure, bisexual erasure, and and I've been told that something like fifty percent of people who identify as either gay, lesbian, or bisexual actually identify as bisexual. That it's the single largest group within the LGBTQ community. So it, it, it's interesting that erasure would be an issue, right, for such a large group. I, I'm I'm curious, you know, what's could you say more about that? Yes, and definitely Ainsley, feel free to pop in. Um, but the concept of bi erasure is the concept that somebody can't be attracted to both. That a lot of people. Uh, oh, you just made this... that up. It's a phase. That's <laughs> yes, stuff. Okay. Exactly, exactly. Okay. That it's just like a phase. You just, you know, you haven't decided if, you know, you're truly gay or you're truly straight. And 
the people who truly feel the back sexuality and are bisexual sometimes even come to question their aspect of bisexuality because there is pressure to be either heterosexual or homosexual. Exactly. Yeah. And all of that, the terms gold star gay that you were talking about and by erasure, that super hits home with me. Honestly, Carl, that was news to me that we are the largest group. I would have had no idea. Almost sometimes call ourselves the ultraviolet gays because you don't like, you can't see us with the naked eye. That's a special Green Lantern ring, guys. So It is. It's a super, super special. It makes us super cool. Um <laughs> These are the comic book references. I love it. I got to pull it back. (laughs) You need special x-ray glasses. But yeah, I think that's probably a new thing that people are self-identifying, maybe openly, maybe not. Like if this is a poll and you're just checking a box, that's one thing versus like in your life. And I think probably men have an even harder time of it saying, hey, I'm bisexual. Um, And bisexual folks get it from both ends. The erasure sometimes starts to happen because you get straight people who are not that psyched about you being bisexual and they might say some things that are hurtful. And then you definitely get also gay people who are saying things like, oh, you're disgusting. You're not a gold star gay. I would never date you. I will never date a bisexual. That's a risk really? for saying nasty things. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it not nice. It the community. It happens yeah. in the community. So it, that tends to drive people underground a little bit. Yeah. Well, so in walks Batman and Robin, and now I'm really, because one of the things you had mentioned, Roman, is you're interested in our thing, like, so what does it matter or how does it matter or does it matter if it comes out in comic books? You know, we're talking about erasure. I'm curious, does this help with that? Does it not? You know, what's your reaction when you see it coming out in, in, in a comic book, right? Which is like stuff kids are supposed to read, although I read them. Uh, For me, I was a Robin fan, much like Robin was. So I was freaking psyched. I was very happy. Of course, obviously, I'm biased. Biased because you like Robin or biased because you're bisexual? Yeah. Both. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely both. I I felt great about it. Do I think it's a good thing? Yes. Ultimately, I think anything that pulls us out into the light and makes us feel like natural and normal and as wholesome as Batman and Robin is fantastic for us. Now, there are always going to be haters. There are always going to be those folks out there who you don't want to read their comment threads because they're going to say terrible things. But I thought it was a good thing. I also think it's a good thing because it starts conversations, right? So I can understand people feeling a little bit precious about their childhood hero. I definitely do. I fully understand that. So I I like that we can just sort of talk about it. Well, yeah, I want to pull on that thread a little bit because first, you know, my own disclosure of Tim Drake. So I think I was telling you guys before we started recording, like Tim Drake was my Peter Parker. And to to explain that, you know, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. He was one of the original everyman characters, but he was invented in the 60s. So by the time like I was reading Peter Parker as a teenager, he's an adult you know, dating Mary Jane, and he's in his 20s and 30s. So Chuck Dixon's Robin, just to back up a little bit. So uh, history lesson for everyone really quick. So Batman is Bruce Wayne, an orphan with a lot of money, and he likes bats, and he learns how to do everything the best. And uh, a little boy, a circus performer, his parents get killed by the mob, and Bruce Wayne sees this and adopts him and trains him to be the first Robin. And eventually that Robin grows up and becomes his own hero. Dick Grayson becomes Nightwing. The second Robin was a young, basically like a street thug named Jason Todd, who tried to rob the tires off the Batmobile. And, you know, Batman needed a Robin, so he adopts this kid. He trains him. This Robin's got a harder edge. He winds up going after the Joker and gets killed straight up. So 
by this point in the 80s and 90s, Batman's gone really dark, like because he doesn't have Robin lightening him up. And a young boy named Tim Drake, who, like most kids, was obsessed with Batman and Robin. And he was at that exact same performance where Dick Grayson did a bunch of aerial flips and saw his parents die. And later on, watching Batman and Robin on TV, he sees Robin doing that same flip. And he puts two and two together that Robin is Dick Grayson. Dick, Therefore, Bruce Wayne must be Batman. And then the years go on. The new Robin shows up. He doesn't look like the same Robin. That Robin disappears. Batman gets really mean. And Tim basically deduces that Robin is dead. Batman needs a Robin. And he confronts Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne. And it's like, you guys got to fix this. Lots of superhero hijinks. Tim Drake becomes Robin. And this is that every man moment, because I was a little kid when this was happening. I was like, whoa, that could be me. I could figure that out. And then tons of miniseries, a long running, really great series of, again, watching Tim Drake be my my everyman, my relatable character. Like if you got to be Robin's sidekick and as they matured Tim Drake, he became the best Robin. Batman literally said, I think you're going to be me one day. You're going to take this job over. And that's a lot of explanation and exposition. But there is, to, to say all of that, guys, it's like there's this ownership of this character. And that's where, troubling is the wrong word, but it's like, wow, you did something to a character that I felt this ownership of. And this is another one of those comments that almost gets me in trouble, but I, I really want you guys to push back on this. Why did you have to do it to one of the characters that we already had? Why couldn't you go invent another character? And Ainsley, I know you have a pushback for this because we talked about that. Why is that problematic for people to think that? Why can't you just go invent another bisexual character? Why do you have to do that to my character? Mm, Yeah. And I hear that a lot about a lot of characters. I think Mm -hmm. it especially hit me on the topic of Robin because I idolized him the same way that you did. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was more of a Dick Grayson person, but... um, Hey, Nightwing's the shit. Don't get me wrong. He's the shit. Absolutely. They're both great. I'm not here to Robin versus Robin. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But as far as saying, hey, why can't folks just create new women characters, new black characters, new queer characters? I think you can. And I think that's an absolutely fantastic thing to do. Well, I mean, precedent, Miles Morales, Kamala Khan. Like we've done that with other forms of representation. We have a black Spider-Man. We have a Muslim Miss Marvel. Exactly, which is wonderful. And I think you can absolutely do it with a queer character too. There's nothing wrong with doing new ones, but evolving a character, especially characters that are as iconic and special as Mm -hmm. a Batman and Robin Mm -hmm. or a Miss Marvel or a Spider-Man and evolving them to invite in more people to be able to put on that mask, like the Stanley, like Spider-Man kind of moment to say Mm -hmm. that I can be that too. I can see myself is fantastic. It's wonderful and it's special. And if I sit to myself and think, wow, I guess I'm not worthy of Robin. I'm worthy of sitting and maybe hoping that maybe someday a character will kind of maybe be partially that beloved or good I, I think more of myself than that. I, I think my gay ass deserves Robin. Um. <laughs> well, so I'll pitch in as the straight white guy. To me, I have to wrap my head around it because I'm like, why wouldn't we? You know, I mean, like, why, what? Let's let's start from these are all stories. None of these people actually exist, and especially in comic books where these characters have changed. You know, Ainsley, you just talked about it. these characters have changed many times over, both in names, in people, and then the same people changing. Captain America suddenly being the greatest villain on the planet and then going back to good. Like, I, what, what is more interesting to me is like, 
we do it all the time. This is just one more that I like that it brings more of our humanity into our stories. Like, but to me, I'm like, well, what, why would this be any different, right? And I think it's different because it brings up things that we might be more uncomfortable with. Uh, but I don't think it's at all different in somehow like, oh, we've somehow changed something that was sacred. It's like, no, 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 we brought in humanity. And this is an aspect we actually have left out for a long time. Well, but the evil marketer in me, um, evil recovering marketer in me says, in comics, there's like this impermanence. Nothing really changes. Now, to be clear, Robin is one of those things. Like he's, we've literally killed some off. They've grown up and become other people. Um, the current Robin, it's actually not even the current Robin. The fourth Robin is Bruce Wayne's son with his greatest enemy's daughter, right? Like, Why uh, do they keep, okay, I have no context. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good question. <laughs> they, they technically only killed one. They, they, okay. no, they only, I say the first one grew up and became a, a, a awesome superhero named Nightwing. Who, again, he's arguably in the DC universe, uh, like on so many levels. Dick Grayson's the shit. Um, second Robin, they killed him. Third Robin, Tim Drake, who we're talking about. Um, but then Batman discovered he had a son, <laughs> and they were like, "Let's make him Robin." And there have been a few other people who have kind of taken on the mantle uh, in different ways. I guess what I, where I was going to go is as a cynical marketer, comics is impermanent. Is this just a gimmick and a cash grab? I mean, maybe it is, but if it has some significance to communities, maybe that's okay. I mean, you could make that argument when they made a black Spider-Man. Was that just to, you know, appeal to African-American youth? I don't know. And the cynic in me wants to think there's something more being done here, or if there's enough fan backlash, are they just going to take it back and be like, oh, just kidding. It was just a phase for Tim. Mm, yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot in what you say there, actually, both of you, about the impermanence of the world of, of especially superhero comics. Superheroes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they've killed off Superman, for crying out loud. Like, it's, it's very impermanent. Multiple universes, whatever. Thanos snapping his fingers, the whole nine. So as a kid, I've never seen anything as too, too sacred. Like, once you see the Batman of the Golden Age versus the 80s Batman of, mm -hmm. you know, Miller Darkness, mm -hmm. it, it, to me, it's like, that's up. And it may be that, that there really were marketing decisions behind a lot of that. Well, Batman's too much of a goody-goody. We're not really selling comic books. We're not moving units. Let's bring in an artist who is going to take it into the dark moment and be more in tune and sell more comic books. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I feel like a lot of these decisions, you could definitely argue that. Um, so is this another one of those? Uh, all right, that's what comic books do, or that's what mm -hmm. superhero comics do, not our beloved manga. And now, a word from our sponsor, the Department of Health and Human Services. What? We've made it, dude. I mean, I love all of our sponsors equally, but I love some more equally. <laughs> yeah, Sharon. Not only is this sponsor a big deal, it's actually about a topic that you and I are both super, super passionate about, COVID prevention. Spring is here and summer is just around the corner, so we want everyone to be social, be safe, and be boosted. Yeah, we're more than two years in, and as a country, we're still dealing with COVID-19. This is something we can't help but keep in mind in our day-to-day -day lives at home and work, especially for those of us with immunocompromised people in our lives, our kids, our parents, and even all of our friends' kids and parents. And we want to make sure all of you, our super smart, savvy, and good-looking listeners of this pod, are vaccinated and boosted. And that you're encouraging all of the folks in your lives to do so, too. 
we can honor our AANHPI heritage, communities, and families today by getting vaccinated for a safer tomorrow. We're talking about making sure we're all vaccinated and boosted. For serious, look, vaccinations greatly reduce your chance of having COVID symptoms like fatigue, pain, and memory problems that last for months. You know, beyond getting sick, long COVID is one of the COVID symptoms that really concerns me. I can barely keep everything going as it is. COVID is serious stuff, so we've all got to do everything we can to keep ourselves and the people we love safe. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we are both parents with young kids and aging parents, so COVID is no joke. So we all have to do our part to protect ourselves, our families, and the communities we work and live in. The CDC recommends vaccination for those age 5 or older, and boosters for everyone who's vaccinated age 12 or older. Getting vaccinated and boosted adds an extra layer of confidence to your social life. Over time, vaccines may become less effective at preventing COVID. Vaccinated adults without boosters are twice as likely to be hospitalized as those who have had COVID boosters. Protect your tomorrow with a vaccine today. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe, effective, and free. Talk to a doctor if you have any questions. You can find vaccines and boosters near you at vaccines.gov. We can do this together. So be safe, be vaccinated, be boosted. This spot was paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, who we are big fans of. And now, back to our show. What's interesting to me is that we're having this conversation, and we need to. But also, I'm ready for when we don't, in, in the sense that this, like, I, I feel like our stories should reflect who we are. They should reflect our humanity. Like, what would be weird to me is if we continued to write, you know, comics are huge cultural conversations now. They're way, they, they always have been, and they're only huger now. It would be weird to me if we didn't have all of our humanity in these stories. And, and that includes the core central characters. Like, if they aren't part of that, then they're not speaking to what's going on with us today. So I, I think it makes total sense to have comic books that have a range of characters that reflect LGBTQ, black, white, female, our full humanity, as I said. And so in some sense, I'm like, oh, Robin was bisexual. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like there's some bisexual characters in the comic book world. There have to be. So what seems unusual, it's not unusual that that happens. I'm not naive enough to think there isn't a marketing component, but man, if that's what's driving this at this point, I think we got other challenges and I, I hope it's not. Well, you know, it's interesting, Carl, that you touched on something. The reality of it is, be it if the per like, again, let's get out of comic books for a second. And in reality, there are people in our lives that have not come out or people in our lives who have not realized their sexuality. And so why wouldn't that be true with fictional characters that are existing people in existing characters? Right. And why wouldn't oh. we be talking about those stories in fictional characters that are supposed to represent you know, people in our real lives? Here's a, so a statistic that I love to throw around, and this was a recent study that was done and The Advocate had published on it, where a survey of Gen Z was done and only about two thirds identified as solely heterosexual. So that means about 33% of the survey participants identified on the spectrum of queer, gay, bisexual, um, just not heterosexual. And so when we look at the census of the United States, being queer weans somewhere around 4 to 8% sometimes. And it's interesting that we see such a staggering difference mm -hmm. between Gen Z and 
the survey that's done. Rep, rep the, pop, yeah. Yes, exactly. And so some people speculate that <laughs> perhaps we have a lot more queer folks who just are not aware. And even just looking at these numbers and these surveys, there's what almost a 30% difference in the actual statistics being done. That unawareness is either conscious or subconscious, and some of that is probably driven by societal norms, right? And what drives societal norms? Pop culture. What's acceptable on TV? I mean, shit, man, in the 60s, a man and a woman couldn't sleep in the same bed on TV. They had literally twin beds in the bedroom, right? Like, so... it's all of our responsibility, but I think pop culture has a unique place to pull the ball forward. So I I guess I want to ask another question, but specifically for Stephen and Ainsley, you know, growing up as kids pre or post your self-identification or your coming out, who were your queer pop culture icons? Ainsley can't say Robin, like who are the other ones? You know, were they fictional? Were, were they fictional imaginings because there weren't a lot of fictional queer characters or were they real life figures like Freddie Mercury? Like, who were the people that you saw kind of reflections in, of yourself in? My non-Robin answer, because <laughs> Robin definitely 100% was, is pretty standard actually for I think a lot of queer people. Before I was self-identifying, it would have been David Bowie. Um, uh-huh. Since I'm a gender fluid person, I'm bisexual, I'm a little bit of a theater person as well. So like, the, you know wearing makeup and and all that kind of stuff goes in there. So I guess he's not a fictional character, but if you think of like a pop culture icon. Ziggy Stardust is. Ziggy Stardust, yes. I will say that that character that he created, Ziggy Stardust, was someone who I imagined was queer. I wished David Bowie or Ziggy Stardust would have come out and been out and not said, oh, I'm bisexual. Uh, By the way, I'm not. And, you know, Mm. all of the sort of back and forth that happened due to cultural pressure. As a young kid, I wished, I hoped that an iconic character or person like that would have just been able to be out. So that's one of them. I think that's my non-Robin answer. What about you, Stephen? Mm, At the time, I just remember growing up, again, queer folks really weren't out, right, back in the day. And it's funny because I have this question come up a lot. And for myself, I love the characters of queer people that were in shows such as Queer as Folk. So it's interesting because a lot of the characters that were played on Queer as Folk, the actual actors themselves weren't queer. But I heavily identified with so many of the characters. I would, you know, sneak away, watch the show. It was just like one of the few shows that had openly queer characters. But myself growing up, I would say in the media entertainment space, I just resonated tremendously with the strong female characters. I absolutely loved Whitney Houston Mm -hmm. and just everything, her and many other really amazing, strong female uh, singers represented at the time. It had more to do with personality than sexual identity. Definitely, definitely. And at the time, you know, we didn't verbalize and articulate maybe as well as we do now around just Mm -hmm. the huge inequity that exists in the systems right but just seeing these strong characters singers characters in shows prevail i think was just really great at least for myself to feel that i had a place but also like i knew i was gay when i was in second grade but i didn't come out until college Mm. (laughs) and it took 
wow, decades of just processing what that was. And during high school, I just, because of the lack of representation, Mm -hmm. I really thought that I had to try to convert myself somehow to be straight so that Mm. that's the future that Mm. I could have. And I, I think just going back to Robin and the impact that would have, regardless of, I think, having seen something like that back then. Exactly. I think seeing something today, if it was back then, I just don't even know what kind of impact I would have had to even just representation of people who are out as bisexual today. Carl, I want to flip the question on you a little bit differently. I'll be the first to say that growing up in Southern majority society, um, the popular thing to say was not very nice about gay people. I'll just say that. And we were all just trying to fit in and do whatever. And the the perception, uh, the gay characters did start to show up in comics. This is now me as a comic book fan in those same years. I, I guess my question to you is like, when you were a teenager and reading comics, and what were the first queer characters that you were seeing in pop culture, be it in comics and movies and films? And kind of what was your reaction? Um, I mean, I'm assuming you were probably way cooler and more woke than I was back in the day. But like... <laughs> Uh, well, I was trying, probably the comics, I, I was reading Iron Man, I was reading it, which dealt with alcoholism. I don't think yeah. it really dealt with any of these topics we're talking about, at least none of the ones I read. Mm-hmm. So I, there wasn't much in the pop culture I was coming across. Probably Priscilla, Queen of the Desert would be as close as it came to a conversation about sexual orientation and identity and things like that. And Honestly, for me, I just, I happened to meet some people, right? Like one of my first bosses was a lesbian woman and she talked about it and we talked about it. And I don't know if I hadn't met some people who were out and open and comfortable and talking about it and courageous that I I really would have known a whole lot because it just wasn't something I came across. Yeah. And and I almost wonder like, and, and not to make it about us straight folk, but it's, would it have normalized it for us sooner had we seen that reflection in pop culture, right? So it's not this strange, weird thing that people are making fun of. So I almost argue, is it just as important? Is it just as important for white kids to see a black Spider-Man or white girls to see a Muslim Miss Marvel on Disney Plus, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think so, right? Because that's the way the world is. And and one of the challenges I have, and I, I think all of us have in some ways, is really... You know, I, I get fooled. I, I, you know, my brain is dumb. At, at a base level, it's still Pavlovian. You know, ding, ding, woof, woof. I see this. The I lizard assume brain, this. The lizard I'm, brain. I'm making, right. Lizard brains making connections that become assumptions and beliefs without me ever knowing it. Because I was in this place when I saw this thing, or I heard this sound when that thing happened. And all of a sudden, I connect all these things. And so when I'm coming across comic books, if I don't see the world represented in like ways that I'm going to make those connections, I get really distorted. I mean, I, I think I had, distor- I, I had distorted views of what the world was like. I just didn't know. And I feel, and world's more fun when I think I, I see more of, you know, who we all are. And I feel better about myself knowing my place in that too. So, so I, I think so. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, on my other comic book podcast, in, in all seriousness, on Quarantine Comics, we've talked numerous times. And Ainsley, I'd love to hear your take on this. Like, man, the comics of the 90s, like, 
there was like a hypersexualization that was not healthy for young straight boys oh. to be seen. And oh. I cringe when I look at some of the things I was seeing back then. Uh, and, and some of the mainstream superhero stuff like by DC and Marvel didn't lean into that as bad. But Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee were all pretty guilty. <laughs> oh, my God. Liefeld yeah. is like it's crazy. <laughs> and yeah, I fully agree with you. Um, I feel like there were a lot of adult comic book artists during that time who were sort of feeling their fantasy about a certain type of super exaggerated woman. Um, <laughs> anatomy. <laughs> anatomy and like just drawing kind of almost like semi-porn stuff that kids were seeing. I can't imagine that it did a great service to any child seeing it, quite honestly. And certainly not myself. I... I, I could tell that they were exaggerated, but it wasn't helpful to me in any way. So I tend to agree with both of you as well, that while you have that dark side of it, that something can kind of distort your reality in a certain way, and especially um, to a younger, impressionable person, something could open you up a little bit. And if I didn't have to go on a weird website to imagine that Spike and Angel were dating, like if they mm -hmm. actually dated on the show, maybe it wouldn't have felt so weird to me about myself, you know, mm -hmm. and I would hope that a, a straight person seeing that would be like, all right, a couple of, a couple of dudes can kiss. Sweet. Perfect. Let's move on. It's not seduction of the innocent well, anymore. It's education of the innocent. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think there's some obvious ways where it can go wrong, right? I mean, tokenism is a thing. Um, and, and what is useful is when it's just like part of a story. It's someone's lived experience that they're bringing out. I, I was talking with my wife about this and we were talking about other places where we've read this. I, maybe you knew or had heard that years after the Harry Potter books were out, J.K. Rowling came out and said, oh, by the way, Dumbledore was gay. And for me, it's kind of like, well, well, what? Wait, like, why bring that up? Like, if it mattered, it would have been in the book, right? Like, and, and that would have been something we would have talked about. But just to say, you know, something exists that isn't brought out in a character or a story is kind of weird, I, I, I guess, for, for me anyway. And I, what is interesting to me about the way I saw Robin written, I, I read the comic, was was more that it was part of the character, right? It's part of the story. It's something meaningful about what they're dealing with, not not just a token, not just a selling piece or something just to draw interest. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And not to cape for J.K. Rowling. Um, she's not my favorite person, as you can imagine. A lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, magical flushing toilets. They literally use magic to, to like disappear the poop. So just say it. <laughs> That is, that is amazing. That is amazing. She could make some things on her Twitter disappear. <laughs> just... <laughs> I think she needed to. Um, but, you know, she was writing at a time when things were, uh, you know, maybe she didn't feel like the publishers would publish if she said Dumbledore was gay. But, but I agree that the optics of it are that it was sort of a throwaway that she just sort of said later. And who knows why? And there is that sort of tokenism and throwaway on a very special episode two female characters kiss once and it will never happen again. Like that sort of very disappointing mm -hmm. thing that happens uh, as opposed to like what I saw the Robin date as is just an evolution of a character. Like we don't even know if this is going to work out with him and this young man. They're just going to go on another date. They're going to find out. Like I think it's very uh, just a gentle opening and talking about what could happen. And I think there's also a 
complexity of just the concept of love and coming into our own skin with all of our own sexualities and oftentimes for the heterosexual characters right you have this whole narrative of how they even come to understand their own concept of sexuality and their perspective on love and relationships but oftentimes queer characters or just any other character that doesn't fit within the heteronormative structure already has this very mature sense of sexuality, confidence, when in reality, it's just so much messier than that, which I don't think is often captured in a very beautiful way in most media and publications. And also, I think in terms of the tokenism aspect, I have a firm belief that not just one queer character can do complete justice for all queer folks, mm-hmm. but we have to have so many more. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to represent the intersections of different queer identities. You know, you have some who might be identified heavily, right, with the concept of dating other people of other genders. And we might have some queer people who just are queer, but they're just not really into the concept of sexuality and love mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. the multifaceted layer of culture with queer identity. I think we're starting to get to that now with media and representation, but in terms of just even representation of bisexual people, I think as for myself, I could count the number in just of just like two hands, the number of openly bisexual characters that I have seen mm-hmm. in media And as we talk about true representation, I think we need a lot more in a much more diverse manner. Well, I think I go back and forth on this. So there's like fiction and there's like fiction fiction. And what I mean by that is, you know, nonfiction is documentary. This shit really happened. Uh, Nonfiction is Seinfeld, uh, Beverly Hills 9021. It could happen, right? Like these are real people or they're at least written people, right? In the real world as we... But then fiction fiction is comic books and superheroes and fantasy and sci-fi like star trek discovery one of the current running star trek continuity shows has a a trans character right and so these things are popping up there but i think they kind of have to happen in the kind of fictional reality for it to become more relatable and i think we're far away from it happening because then it just becomes part of the fabric of life but the interesting thing about fiction fiction be it spaceships in the far future like on star trek or comic books in a universe where a man can fly and a guy dresses up like a bat at night um you can experiment you can test the waters you can kind of push the door a little bit more to see what people are comfortable about but i i think for us to have queer and straight a more representative understanding and acceptance of what the world is we have to start seeing it in more realistic scenarios and and so what's interesting about the the tim drake thing is it was tim it wasn't robin right like from a pop culture and a headline standpoint it's robin but it was Tim's a guy who happens to be a superhero who is attracted to and asked out on a date by a guy, a very kind of normal situation. I think I liked that they decided to approach it from a more kind of realistic fiction standpoint. Uh, Ainsley, do you think the portrayal or Carl, do you think the portrayal was was well done? I do. And I agree with you that having this kind of wholesome moment between two young men, definitely not one of them in his superhero costume, just standing in a porch in a doorway and slightly awkwardly talking about maybe going on a date is very normalizing and nice. 
you could imagine the young man next door maybe doing that. And I think, like Stephen is saying, there are so many more probably queer and bisexual people out there. You might know somebody who's like that. And I agree, it does help to have that happen in a naturalistic setting in a way. I mean, for comic books, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he later goes out and beats the crap out of someone. Sure, and then he twirls around with boots on. But, you know, that's why we love him. Well, Stephen, you had talked about exploring love and and, and all of its facets is what can make this particularly interesting. And and what just came in my head, Roman, is when we think about love, you you drew the categories of there's nonfiction, there's, I, I don't know, fiction that is set in a current reality and then fiction in some far future. You know, we tell love stories in all of those mm-hmm. and it's totally normal. And this is one of those. So I, to, to me, it's normal. It, it's the way we live our lives. It happens in all those settings. And so there's nothing, there needn't be anything unusual. It, it's absolutely expected that we would have those stories in all of those settings. You know, I, I think we're just kind of catching up to our own comfort Maybe as a society with some of those. We we have a lot of catching up to do. Guys, any last thoughts on Robin being queer? Here for it. <laughs> Super here for it. Super delighted. Have been waiting for this since I was a kid. So, I mean, welcome to the party, Robin. Welcome to being fabulous. 1,000%, guys. Well, I think we could go on for quite a bit longer, but I, got, I think it's about time uh, for speed round. What do you guys think? Sounds good. Let's do it. Oh, wrong answer, guys. No one's ever ready for speed round. Oh, <laughs> I'm, no, in, no. I'm no way prepared. <laughs> in fear. <laughs> Terrifying. So uh, let's ask the least comic book person first. Steven, what is the coolest, most interesting thing you know about comics? Um, superpowers. <laughs> Uh, gotta g- g- give me give me a superpower man that was such a cop out <laughs> if i had a superpower what i would want ability to teleport because i'm always late to everything <laughs> oh wow yeah i like that framing of the question all right carl i'll bite what would be your superpower uh crud uh well you know flying pro- actually now you bring up teleportation i was about to say flying because i could get anywhere but if you got teleportation, you don't need to fly, right? I mean, how exactly. cool is it to go to a vacation to Japan when you don't have layovers? <laughs> so so I'm going to draft off you on this one, Stephen. I'm just going with teleportation. Ainsley, tell them why they're wrong. What's, what's the power oh that we need to have? This is the power that is super nerdy. It's a power that I want to have, and, and you're, it's maybe a little lame. I would love, without any studying, to be able to speak and understand any and every language ever spoken. Hello, Doug Ramsey, a.k.a. Cypher. Applefish. Yes, everywhere in the world. That's a good one. Carl, what is your favorite comic book movie or TV show? Oh, wow. All right. Well, I grew up, I've got half of the Iron Mans that were put out. So when the first one came out, I, I was totally in, uh, but I got to be honest, I really love the Captain America movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I thought those were awesome. Steven, as a non-comic book guy, favorite, I mean, you can't escape it. It's all around you. <laughs> I actually watched a lot of Batman, but not the comic, the movies. And I knew the nipple reference because I actually watched the Val Kilmer documentary 
and he specifically talks about (laughs) the Batman costume with the nipple being the demise of his character. (laughs) So Batman is the one I'm most aware of. (laughs) Oh, God. God help us, Joel Schumacher. Ainsley, favorite comic book movie or TV show? I love a lot of the Marvel Universe stuff that's going on right now. Um, Super love Thor Ragnarok. But my classic favorite, which I haven't seen in years, is the Tim Burton Batman. Um, All right, 1989. Super creepy and and very bizarre and hilarious, and I love it. All right. So, Ainsley, what is one of your favorite queer-oriented stories, TV movies or books? Doesn't have to be comics related, but queer-oriented stories that other folks should learn from and relate to. Oh, wow. Uh, This is a hard one. Um, There is so little queer stuff that's out there. You know, go watch Xena, Warrior Princess, and and, oh, yes. and ship Xena and, and Gabrielle. That's that's my advice to everybody. Um, it's All not right. a particularly deep one, but there you go. What about you, Steve? Queer-oriented stories that other folks could learn a lot from. Now that you brought up Xena, I used to watch that every weekend. <laughs> Such fond memories of Xena, Warrior Princess. I used to do the Xena screams running around the house and drove my mother insane. Um, I mean, broadly, I think queer narratives and people who play queer characters have become much more diverse. And so I've been recommending people to check out queer movies being published in Asia, in parts of Africa, in South America. I find those so fascinating to watch, especially understanding queer lives and narratives through different contexts, because sometimes we forget that the layer of westernization is just one lens of things and especially writers a big writer and also published uh new stuff recently is ocean vuong oh yeah uh, asian american uh, what was the name of his book again i am drawn a blank on, on earth it. we're briefly gorgeous yeah. and it's the account of queer asian americans coming of age through america mm-hmm. navigating just many different layers of experiences and just Beautiful, beautiful uh, prose. And I, I think it's just so fascinating to understand different people and their story and way that they navigate it becoming queer. You know, it's interesting because of your podcast, I mm-hmm. actually discovered a graphic novel named Flamer, um, uh, yeah. which was Mike. just, <laughs> yeah, it's a um, really moving piece of work. And I think in that interview, he mentioned a book called Displacement which talks about Japanese internment from a young mm. queer girl's perspective. So, uh, Carl, you've had a lot of time to think. Is there a, a queer story or a narrative that, that you've read that you think other folks should check out? Well, I'd say Moonlight, the movie, I suppose, was a story. But I mean, that's an Academy Award. I don't probably don't need to tell a lot of people about that movie. But as I was thinking through, I think the whole point of this hot test, there weren't a lot of stories that I could think about, right? So I'm interested to kind of hear some of the stories that were talked before me, because. Uh, so basically, I'd you're like going to go binge Zika Warrior Princess with Aaron later on. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. I was like, wow, I need to I need to rewatch some of that show because you know I, I watched was it Hercules and that was sort of the spinoff and, and I, didn't, yeah. I didn't follow it. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, yeah, but you have man, to watch it with that. With the, that queer lens, you know, watch it with the, put, put your queer glasses on, turn on some Xena okay. warrior princess. Right. I think we need to have like a, a Xena queer rewatch podcast. Filters. Or just like Star Trek. There's so many queer references in Star Trek too. Uh, correct. Totally forgot. Yeah. 100% correct. Actually, you have no, Discovery, hang on, hang on. right? 
No, really, hang on. Sorry. Educate me really quick. We're going off tangent, but like, all right, what are some of the queer references in Star Trek? Because I don't have the Gadar guys. I didn't see it. I would say Star Trek The Next Generation it tackles issues in some episodes of characters being transgender. It oh, yeah. Okay. Tackles, uh, mm-hmm. It tackles being queer and being closeted. And yet Riker still tries to have sex with all of them. So. 100%. Riker does not care. Riker is <laughs> omnisexual. He'll bang whatever. <laughs> omnisexual. <laughs> my hero. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Discovery right now, actually. Yeah, I think there's yeah. a very sweet relationship between mm-hmm. the scientist and the doctor of the, the ship doctor. there. Yeah. Um, absolutely sweet. So, yeah, it's a nice one. Ainsley, who is a fictional character that you'd like to talk to on a podcast? You know, this is so cheesy. I'd love to talk to Elizabeth Bennett from uh, Pride and Prejudice. I think she would be a wonderful conversationalist over podcast, and I would ask her all sorts of, of questions about Regency England. Carl, what about you? Who's a fictional character you want to talk to on a podcast? <laughs> so we've been talking comic books. I will go with Splinter, the, the, the mentor to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Uh, but the Eastman layered version, not the Vanilla Ice 1980s movie version. Uh, I want the the black and white original comic. All right, Master Splinter, Stephen, fictional character that you would want to talk to on a podcast. Since we talked about it earlier, I would bring on Dumbledore, and we'll get the real tea. There you go. There Dumbledore you go. untucked. <laughs> nice. Yes, uh, it's RuPaul's yes. Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so last question uh, and Carl I'm going to start with you what does being a modern minority superhero mean for you being open to learning and just in- embracing the humanity in each of us okay, how's that is that has that got enough cheese for you <laughs> <laughs> we love to close on the cheesy answers but it's usually the last person who has to give the most meaningful and impactful one that's uh, right yeah, you know, but honestly, I, I think just leaning in, none of us have lived in a world where we have equality for, you know, invisibility and all these things. And so right now, being a superhero means leaning in, making mistakes, learning, forgiving, and not backing out just because, you know, something feels a little bit uncomfortable because mm. uh, we got to grow. So I think that's where I, that's my modern minority superhero. Ainsley, what does being a modern minority superhero mean for you? Being brave every day. I think it means sometimes having hard conversations. I think it means wearing a fabulous outfit <laughs> or having, having one to change into at all times. And I think it means keeping an open mind and being inclusive and kicking ass. Awesome. Steven. Bring us home. What does being a modern minority superhero mean for you? Just being unapologetically yourself with all of the ups and downs and traversing through the big question mark of life and even through romance and love and sometimes not having to identify oneself, but just being open to experiencing and being open for others to experience as well. Yeah. That's great. Well, guys, I have had a blast nerding out with you, asking hard questions, challenging my own assumptions. So I just appreciate all of you guys showing up and and being honest. And, you know, I'll see you in the funny papers. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. 
Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Raman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. You're listening to... Whoa! Whoa. Potluck. Potluck.